Hottest Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with me is my co-host Ray. Hello. And my stalwart Robert. Yes, yes, I was eaten by the warp last week, I'm sorry. I should spend some quality family time uh, over Memorial Day weekend, and also honoring those who gave all to keep our country free, so we want to thank you for all for your service. But we are back, and uh, luckily it's been a real quiet time, so not much to get caught up on here in 40k. What do you guys think? Eric, it's about as quiet as a Drukhari torture chamber. Indeed. So a couple news that we'll start with some news in competitive 40k that may have slipped under the radar. Everybody's uh, hopping on the 10th edition bandwagon, but uh, two key stories came up uh, looking towards the future. Las Vegas open. It's back and tickets are on sale as we speak. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw any of the details, but they're back at the Rio, which I thought was interesting. Uh, Robert, you were at the Rio for LVO in previous years. What are your thoughts on that? Seeing as I've only ever been to the ones at the Rio, I'm a little biased in saying it's not that bad. But the the Rio itself does show its age naturally, being an older hotel and older venue, being off the strip. But from what they were saying, it sounds like the Rio is now under new management and it's going through renovations, a.k.a the entertainment group that probably owns it is probably like, yeah, we need to finally update this place to not have it look like it's straight out of the fifties. Um, the, the biggest problem I have is if you get stuck in the tower, that's the farthest away from the venue hall. Cause then you're closest to parking, but then you have to walk all the way across the casino floor to get to the venue hall. <laughs> That could be a bit of an issue, so make sure you have a very good uh, display board <laughs> to carry your army with. Yeah, mine was very, very heavy and obnoxious last time. So I'm just glad it's back, because I was kind of like, is this something that's really going to like skip a year, or what's going on? So I know a couple folks are sort of kind of like, oh, uh, we're back at the Rio, but I, I think it's a good thing that at least we're continuing it. And... Um, yeah, I'll just keep my fingers crossed that uh, we'll have a good understanding what uh, 10th edition, how it operates by January of next year. So uh, we'll see how all that works. Other news. Uh, we had talked about this a while ago, and it kind of went, huh, okay. And that is that uh, Goonhammer started their own unified tournament circuit. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's kind of a conglomeration of tournaments in the local Baltimore area. Well, guess what? One thing we talked about is big regional circuits. Well, one regional circuit has teamed up with the UTC. So the New England Open Circuit, or the NEO, is now part of the Unified Tournament Circuit. So it's starting to grow a little bit. Uh, still lots of RTTs, not a whole lot of majors in this particular circuit. But is it time for a new circuit for 40K? I think this probably explains why we've been seeing a crop up of events out towards like Maryland and stuff. It might be. I, it's it's interesting because I think one group that's been unusually quiet is has been um, kind of the the ITC. You know, what exactly are the uh, their plans for the future? Are they? I mean, let's be honest. They've got they've probably got a preview copy. And uh, but at this point, it's been kind of quiet, very reactive. 
what is their game plan for 10th edition? Are we resetting standings? Are you going to finally update the faction, best in faction delineations? I have, you know, just those little things that I'm like, okay, what's going on? And it was kind of like, well, 9th edition's dead, so we're just going to let it go out and we'll fix things later. But I get no intention, any inkling that they're going to fix anything that what they've done in the past. Well, it's for someone who has only been messing around with competitive stuff for the last half of a decade. The the competitive ranking stuff for me has always just been like it was it looked messy, but it made sense because it was here's your faction. Oh, it's sub faction. You play that one instead. Now that they're kind of consolidating sub factions into generic books aside from the faction focuses that we have to catch up on in like a rapid fire pace <laughs> the like the space marines mainly it'll just be one big lump sum and then it goes to the argument of but i specifically play blood angels all season why am i playing against someone who plays iron hands for best in faction that kind of thing i guess i guess i still look at they still have zeech separate from Chaos Space Marines and Demons. So what does that mean? Um, it's very unclear. Uh, Nari, for the best part of Ninth, has been rolled into a Aldari craft world. Yet you can still win best Anari somehow. So I think they even still have Dark Mechanicus on there, which was never been a faction. So I'm like, what are you guys doing? Um, and to your point, uh, the sub-factions are dead, you know, in, in 10th edition, and I'm starting to embrace the new direction of this, that uh, you pretty much, whatever sub-faction you wanted to play, there's probably the attachment for you, and you can kind of forge your own narrative and get that same play style from your army. So it's actually, I, I'm really opening up myself to that. So I, I just don't know. Mm -hmm. I just get the impression it's more... It seems to be a lot more focused on FLG events, not a lot of focus on the ITC. Uh, there's now the golden ticket with uh, the Games Workshop US Open Series. It's where you can win you know, events during the year and such as this Kansas City event, and then you get invited to the big showdown in Atlanta. Interesting enough, um, originally it was supposed to be qualifier events for, you know, Every FLG event became a qualifier event. FLG was going to do something similar for LVO. They've now scrapped that plan. So it just, I don't know. It just feels like the ITC is nothing, has become nothing more than a points aggregator. And um, it's supposed to molding a league and uh, providing TO support. So I don't know. Eh, I don't have very much of an opinion because I've only been playing for a third of the time of almost everyone else. <laughs> I mean, I, th I get what you're saying. I mean, you're not alone. And that's one thing I, I kind of look at it as, is there's a lot of players that they will travel maybe once or twice in the, in the year to an outside, outside of their uh, neighborhood event. Event's an event, so to them, an FLG event is still a good event. And this one, I understand that's not changed. So that's a good thing. But the idea of linking together that I went to this event, I went to that event, and can I make a run 
towards a kind of overall season championship seems to be losing steam, which is unfortunate. So that's where I'm just like, okay, because it, it had come so far from the early days of competitive 40K to where we are now, and then it seems like it's just... Yep. How do you feel about this, Ray? I mean, I've not even been able to get to a tournament outside of the Phoenix area, let alone in a different state, so I'm kind of I kind of find myself in an unsure position. And that may be the, the reason for the stagnation. They may be looking at it. Is this something worth pursuing? Is there really enough interest? I don't know. Maybe this playoff system of attending big events throughout the year and then that's enough. How you do in your local RTTs and local GTs doesn't matter anymore. Maybe that's the better way to go. It's a little cleaner. Um, puts a lot more pressure on doing well that one weekend. But uh, we'll see. I don't know. It's uh, But it seems awfully quiet. So we'll see how that all pans out. In the meantime, um, more and more uh, things have been rolled out. We had a, quite a few more faction focus. Faction foci, is that the proper pronunciation? Uh, since we last talked, so we got a little deeper look into the, the world of 10th edition and um, a couple of your favorites, uh, both for Ray and Robert, uh, came out since our last recording. That's right, you stupid gits. We're going to start with... I'm totally kidding. I'm not a bunch... We're not a bunch of stupid gits. But yes, orcs are the first... Are the things that we're going to start out on because, yes, we missed... Uh, I, at least, missed that many because I live under a rock. So... <laughs> I just it is real quick, one thing. Mm-hmm. I was... two-thirds correct at finishing out that week. You did predict yep. them. Those were pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, starting with Dem Orcs in the proper green git fashion, their army rule is, in fact, still the WA. So, as we currently know it from 9th edition, WA is a two turn affair. You get both things on the first part of it, and then it peters off a little bit. In this case, they've now slapped it into a single battle round, which I know can make orc players feel kind of eh. Because you still get all the same buffs effectively. You can still charge, even if you advance with every single orc unit now, not just core and characters. Uh, you get plus one strength and attack with, for melee weapons, and you get a five plus invuln. Like, it's a really solid ability, but it only lasts one battle round. So you gotta be pretty cunning to be brutal. <laughs> but it's simplified. I want to see what the problem is. Yeah, and plus the the current detachment rule effectively makes you play goffs. Your melee weapons have sustained hits one, and they show off the beast naga boys. So the biggest change for me is wait a minute, that's a number other than a six for their save. It's a five. <laughs> So yes, it looks like orcs are getting a a thicker t-shirt, and the Beast Naga Boys have a feel-no-pain, but they still hit on fives in shooting phase. You can never take that away from orcs, ever. One thing I thought is kind of neat, uh, as 
more of the rules came out, one of the terrain things we were kind of battling back and forth, and it finally did get clarified that ruins are once again breachable, but it's not just mm-hmm. infantry, it's also beasts. So that means the, the beast dagger boys can actually charge through buildings. It's a little scary. Well, I mean, they are naturally infantry, but it's stuff like Fenrisian wolves, um, if the Thunderwolf cavalry for Space Wolves have that keyword. It's those kinds of things that used to have to go around buildings and easily be avoided. But sadly, actually, looking at his card now, this instantly makes him amazing. Gazgul Mag Uruk Thraka, Prophet of Gork and Mark. He went down two wounds. He's toughness six instead of seven, but he can now walk through walls because he's an infantry model. <laughs> can also join units. Yeah, along with Makari, who has a two plus and vulnerable save. He got the shield, the the shadow field treatment though, <laughs> so he can't reroll it. At least it doesn't go away on a one. But yeah, um... that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I board. mean, yeah. it does go away on a one. Because Bakari got a whopping one wound. <laughs> Good point. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, so the one thing I did not see, and I'm anxious to see it when the you know, the cards drop for orcs, is um, the whole mobbing up and the whole our leadership is equal to the number of models within so many inches. Uh, that seems to have gone away. Yeah, that was something that they kind of just with the with the attrition tests that they did in this in ninth edition, they effectively took that away because it was if you're within range of another mob unit, you ignore attrition tests and stuff like that. So you still took leadership, but it wasn't as painful and also wasn't as stupidly broken or terrifyingly detrimental. How eighth edition was where it was, I have a 30 man brick. I'm leadership 30. You blew up 15 of them. And touching on the troublemakers that were the rocket truck squig buggies, they still maintain their indirect fire of their squig launches, but now it's one profile of D6 plus six blast ignores cover. It's no more of two of the same gun at different range. It's no, just one gun, a bunch of squigs because squigs are awesome. Curious to see as more of that comes out. Uh, directly after Orcs was uh, Ray's favorite faction, Thousand Sons. Ray, what'd you think of them? I was actually pleasantly surprised for the most part. Um, a little disappointed in one and a little bit else. Um, I was kind of excited to see the Cabal Sorcerers. They're still keeping them um, pretty similar in that regard to what we're used to. And that you get the Cabal points. The Cabal Sorcerer's Army rolls basically just their point system for the Cabal points. So, you know, the best inst- example is what they show with Harriman. He's got Cabal Sorcerer's 3, which is actually how many you'd get from them and uh, currently. So, what do you do with the points? Well, it's... Uh, a little bit more condensed on what you can do with them. There are only five? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, five. Ranging from two Cabal points to nine Cabal points. So you can do Weaver of Fates, 
uh, that's going to be very familiar. So, uh, basically giving you um, re-roll a saving throw for friendly thousand sign psyker uh, or unit within the 18 inches of the psyker. Excuse me. Uh, we got temporal surge, which happens in shooting. It allows to make a normal move, but that unit is not eligible to declare a charge. That's fine. It seems to still let you shoot, though, which is usually what you want to do if you're South and Sons. You don't want to get in close combat. Echoes of the Warp for six Cabal points lets you use a stratagem for zero CP, even if you've already used a stratagem this phase, which is kind of a strong thing to do. I think the one we'll see the most often, though, is the uh, Doom Bolt. Because it's kind of strong for 7 CP. You can roll that D6. And at worst, you're going to deal D3 to an enemy within 18 inches, invisible. At best, you'll do D3 plus 6 mortal wounds. So, that will probably be the thing you see the most. Luckily, the can only be done once per turn, as I remember. Um, they show off one detachment rule, it's the Cult of Magic, which means whatever cults we had are going to be gone, and we'll get them via various detachment rules. And they went with Cult of Magic. Basically lets you do a couple different things in your command phase, whether it be getting lethal hits, uh, sustained hits, one, or devastating wounds, and of course it only affects psychic weapons. Ooh, spooky guns. Yeah. I was really hoping that they would show off Magnus, but apparently the only, at this point, the only Primarch they were going to show off was Gilliman. We did get to see Airman. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed in his psychic gun, for all intents and purposes. Uh, it is precision, which is nice. But it's range 18. You only get one attack. And it's only strength 6, d6 damage. I thought it might be a little bit better than that. But I guess they kind of set him up to be a little bit more for like helping out other units because he's got a special ability that's psychic called Arch Sorcerer. Once per battle, you can select the model to use a ritual for zero Cabal points. I mean, so I guess you could also have him do Doom Bolt in that regard, but... Yeah, that, that's what I'm finding looking at most psychers is they're meant to just be support pieces instead of solo beat-em-up characters like they have been in the past. Yeah. Because, like, you skip on down to their, their stratagem of Psychic Dominion, you... Use it any phase after an enemy has selected all of its targets. The Thousand Suns unit is so you use it on a Thousand Suns unit, and all attacks made against your unit with psychic powers with, with psychic weapons is hazardous. And hopefully, I'm reading this right. And the models in your unit get feel no pain four plus. So, yeah, psychic attacks. 
So yeah, at that point, if you're going up against another Thousand Suns or Grey Knights or Psychic Heavy Tyranids, that kind of thing, you have a stratagem that can literally just go boop. Yeah, I don't disagree on that. And make it really spooky to shoot at your army, which I know Thousand Suns have liked doing before. They like being really durable, but when they when their saves fail, they just kind of fall over dead. Yeah. But speaking of other psychic armies, it, the one right after that was in fact the Grey Knights, which I still think they should be called the Silver Surfers because they wear silver armor. I was really worried about this because everything has been enough so far in 10th edition has been a throwback to 5th edition. And although a lot of people wax poetic about how good 5th edition was, Grey Knights single-handedly ruined the edition. Um, so hopefully Matt Ward isn't part of the writing team on this one. So <laughs> the, the factual focus seemed to indicate they are contained at this point. Uh, it, it's one of those things that reading it initially, it's so at the end of your opponent's turn, if you you can select a certain number of units to teleport around the table, which is crazy because your opponent can't walk anywhere without getting move blocked is effectively how it sounds so in a normal 2000 point game it's up to three units so you could throw around dread knights um or you could throw around strike teams if you literally just want to block your opponent because as far as i can tell every single infantry and the dread knights have the natural deep strike rules just like they currently do where you can hide most if not all of your army <laughs> well, but um doing that'll be fun especially if you're having them help out a purgation squad after all they do have that uh astral aim and looking at the rules kind of gave me back memories of fun times playing with uh gray knights allied with my necrons using purgation squads to shoot things that they could couldn't see on the other side of the mountain. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a little something. And the they have the the teleport assault thing, which is the army rule, so that's why you know it's attached, so it's a generic thing. But the the detachment thing is a, a really really neat in my opinion, because it's whenever you advance you just automatically move six <laughs> and they gain fly. So you get the entire biker advance move on everything for free. <laughs> this army is going to be incredibly mobile. <laughs> and I am bothered by this. <laughs> we don't need bikes. They just teleport everywhere. But otherwise, it'll be nice to... I know there's still a more elite Marine faction, so they still fall over and die, just like most other Marines. Um, except for the Purgation Squad, they have a 2-plus armor save, so they're a little more durable, along with the Dread Knights, at least the Grandmaster. So I fully expect them to come out in droves and be all over the table, and the opponent's movement phase is not going to end during their turn. <laughs> I also thinking of that new uh, rapid ingress uh, <laughs> stratagem. That could be. So now they're also deep striking on your turn. So I'm like, oh my god, this is going to be pretty pretty insane. Uh, watching them flip around the table, 
I'm curious if the I don't know. It seems very different from how they used to play. So I'm just like, okay, we'll see how this works. Oh, that's why I was saying that their movement phase doesn't end in their turn. Um, unlike the the next faction, that they literally just have the potential of saying the game is never over. There is enough of us to win the game, and yeah, that I only bought it, two boxes. Yet I have three thousand points. <laughs> yes. How does how does this go? Well, you see, we're a cult of gene stealers. So this one, I. I was actually able to read this one initially and go, say what? This is weird. Because <laughs> to literally read the first paragraph of the ability, if your army faction is this Gene Stealer Cults, each time a unit with this ability is destroyed, roll a d6. On a three, add, adding three to the result if it is a battle line unit, on a four plus, the unit is placed into cult ambush, and you can place one cult ambush marker anywhere on the battlefield that is more than nine inches horizontally away from all enemy units. So ambush is back. It's a little different. It's not during the deployment. It's when they're destroyed. And that's where I'm just like, why? This will take forever. <laughs> and then I realized that you could interact with the ambush tokens and make them fail and keep the unit dead, but that makes you move out of position and blah, 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 blah. Tricky big brain bug stuff. <laughs> And characters don't come back with the bodyguard units, which is right. something that I'm like, Whew. no I resurrecting like characters. Either, either the characters aren't going to have cult ambush, or um, they're going to need to address the characters. Personally, well, I don't think they'll have it, but in the in the actual rule of cult ambush, they specify characters that are attached to a unit with this ability are not returned alongside that unit. Should it return to the battlefield as described above, only the bodyguard unit returns. So it's right, but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily say that characters won't have the ability. It just says that the characters that are attached to a unit with the ability don't return with that unit. But the the one thing that we do know that when a character joins the unit, it is now part of that unit in this case. So at that point, the character just dies. Or at least that's the way I'm going to... Because the core rules are now available for download, so that way people can read them. Huzzah! That was a GW thing. So we can argue about that all we want later. Uh, <laughs> I guess what I'm looking at is, yeah, you would roll separately, since because I know one thing they did clarify is if you kill the bodyguard unit, that's one kill, killing the characters, that's second kill. So I would roll, let's say, the bodyguard unit's a battle line, I'm rolling my d6 for higher plus three, and then I roll separately for the character. So I'm assuming I'm also generating a second token, and but then does the character come out by themselves? That's kind of a breaking the rule. I'm not sure. Which is why it makes me wonder if it's going to turn out that none of the characters have this rule. Yeah, that's all I can think of. That's yeah. Now say that out loud. I totally disagree with what I just said. So, all right. Well, like they they have one really quick example. They have the patriarch, who does not have the faction rule of cult ambush. So yeah, the character does not come back. Okay, fair enough. But yes, um, keep recycling your uh, <laughs> neophyte hybrids over and over and over again. Oh, by when they come back, by the way. Um, uh, each time a Gene Sailor cult from your army is set up on the battlefield as a reinforcement until the end of your next fight phase, they are equipped with sustained hits, one, and ignores cover abilities. 
<laughs> Yay, mining lasers. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're one attack, but they're hitting on fives, really high strength, really high AP, and really high damage. So it'd be something equivalent to like um, a Weber or a Flamer hitting you and just going blah. But yes, Gene Sealer Colts is going to look like a very fun army for people that like just doing hordes of models and not putting them on and instantly taking them off the table. They get to put them back on the table <laughs> and only make it through three turns because they've done that four times. I would highly recommend uh, Movement Trace. So the next couple of faction focuses are a little off the beaten path as they are much smaller in number or what generally is called sub-factions. So the first one that I think we can cover is assassins. So Imperial agents, inquisitors, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of... So the short version is, in a Strike Force game, uh, you're allowed up to two uh, units and two characters. So most and set. And you cannot um, name one of your assassins your warlord. So there you go. So that's how they're doing assigned agents, where compared to Brood Brothers, I think they said for a 2,000-point army, the max would be 500 points. Yeah, it's only 25% of your army. Right. And I believe they're doing the same thing. Chaos Space Marines can only include 500 points of demons. We've not seen anything about Harlequin, so I'm not sure what the traveling players, how that's all going to pan out. Mm-hmm. But um, assassins are pretty mean again. I guess the biggest thing I am looking for, which I did not see, was the old stratagem where you could swap out uh, one assassin for another assassin during the pregame steps. But uh, maybe that's gone away, but I thought that was kind of helpful because uh, nothing's worse than you brought the rock assassin to a scissor fight or paper fight. So you're like, oops, the wrong one. See, what you do at that point is is you just kit bash all of them onto a single 3-2mm base and this assassin has like eight arms. But... Some from looking at the Vindicare, so Mr. Sniperman, it I think all of the assassins have the epic hero keyword, so that's why you can only ever have one of them and then like one inquisitor because the inquisitor doesn't have the epic hero keyword unless you bring someone like Grayfax. Yeah, I was looking, I think they did give us Grayfaxes. Yes, Grayfax does have epic hero, so or Eisenhorn or whatever. So, yeah, okay, like okay, neat. Um. Uh, we'll see how the rest of it kind of pans out. At this point in the faction focus rollout, I was kind of like, these all sound nifty. We haven't seen the whole thing. We haven't seen point values yet. Still not sure how missions work at this point. So I was kind of like, all right, what else you got? And then the next release was the, well, first of all, we talked about all the stuff coming out. Let's talk about some of the stuff they're taking away to pause and cleanse the palate from our listeners. So at that point, this one, after we cover this, actually leads into the fun article, which makes me scratch my head. But the the entire Forge World range got slapped with the Legends keyword, except for Custodes and Night Players. So no more Leviathans, no more Relic and Tempter Dreadnoughts, no Kratoses, no Mastodons. None of that. No Xiphons, no Fire Raptors, which were a huge staple 
in 6th and 7th edition when it came to competitive play. Uh, also, uh, Death Storm drop pods, uh, Dreadnought drop pods, which is another big one. Um, Charybdises. Charybdises, the Terox pattern termites are gone. Uh, all the um, all the Dreadclaw is another one. Yeah, so, okay, Space Marines, sorry. Uh, no drop pods for you. Raider Spress Scorpion. Uh, that's a big one for Chaos, as well as Decimators. That was like one of the mm-hmm. big things for Chaos Space Marines. Uh, moving along. Um, no Chitane Ravagers, that kind of thing. Yeah, so, uh, my Sicarians are going on the shelf for good. Yeah, I'm like, why did I buy these? Uh, great. And um, the Daredreos was another one that was uh, very popular on the competitive scene. And uh, as a Trakari player, I was very upset that 50% of our entire line was ripped from our hands. Yeah, no Reapers. We still have a Tantalus, but no Reapers. Mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely one of those things that when you put it in perspective of no Forge World, the except for Custodes and Knights, I understand why they left it for those two, because those three armies have incredibly small ranges, so you don't have a lot of um, diversity in list building if you take away Forge World. But it does cause a lot of feel-bads because the the entire concept of the Iron Hands Dreadnought list is you build it around three Redemptor Dreadnoughts and then a Relic Contemptor that's a made a character because it's small enough. So that entire list concept just kind of went out the window. Yeah. Uh, to me, actually, just from a, from a player standpoint, like I said, the, the armies that I play had very few things in Forge World that I could actually play. From a TO standpoint, you could cry me a river all you want. Oh, I, 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 I've been following this army, and it fits to the lore that I'm trying to forge with my, my narrative's take on this army. No, you're not. You found a loophole on a web uh, list that you're like, if I buy this Forge World model, I will have a distinct advantage, and chances are my opponent does know what it is because they don't have Forge World in their local area. Whether it be Malefic Lords... Uh, hornets. Um, uh, I, I was even guilty of it with the wraith seer. So as well as the what's the alternate uh, wraith knight? Uh, I forgot what that thing was called. Like the phantom, the, yeah, like the phantom wraith knight or something. Something like that. Yeah. And then even the old corsair list that was hilarious. There was all there was a whole bunch of us going for top trukari player, and of the eight of us that had a shot at it, four of us had corsairs in our list using the old forge world rules. So, part of me is like, Forgewood stuff is nice. Some of the stuff is kind of cool to look at. But when it comes to competitive play, I would just would have said altogether, no. <laughs> but I, get I still remember when they weren't even allowed in tournaments. Yeah, that was. It's only a recent. And actually, I can thank uh, Frontline Gaming for that one. Um, for WTC, still doesn't allow it. But uh, to Robert, I, I definitely see your point. I don't want to lose half my army if I'm playing Custodes. The Knights players, I have no sympathy. Those stupid Forgeworld Knights are a pain in the butt. They need to go. Well, they sadly for you, they are not going happily for me. They are staying because as far as we've seen, they are slowly converting each of them into plastic. Because I believe the one that they showed off was the Lancer. So the one with the, sh- the big shield and the Lance arm. Which, at that point, I'm just waiting for the Castigator to show up because I that bolt cannon just looks really, really cool. Well, and an, another one of those Serastus style knights, at least bits of like a sprue, popped up online. 
It's not confirmed, but it looked like the either the kit it's a multi bar kit or there's gonna be one on one coming out. Yeah. So overall, we'll have to see how this actually shakes up the entire game because it'll force people to not use their Forge World toys and it'll force them to actually bring stuff out of the codex, which means you'll see rhinos and dune crawlers and everything else on the table more often as transports or, you know, more land raiders because everyone should have at least one land raider in their collection. Absolutely. Unrelated note, uh, uh, I have a... uh... Warp Hunter for sale, if anyone's interested. But anyway. <laughs> so, following along with Forge World, we will get the, the silly faction focus that came out just two days ago. And this is, in fact, talking about Titanicus. This entire thing is just silly. You will never see these things on the table because these things are massive and they are expensive and they are silly. I would w- not waste your time with them. I would actually go ahead and invest if you can find it at your local game store. The uh, Epic, uh, well, the, the Apocalypse rules that they most recently came out with, they're actually really good, and the data slates are free. So you can pretty much play with anything in the game for free, and then you use your own 40K models. And even if you do like 3,000 and 4,000 point battles without Titans, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, the, the ridiculousness of, uh, yeah, I brought a. Uh, Oh, well, I'm tight to a 40k game. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So the the more important faction focus that they showed off is the the special space marine chapters. Yes. So angels, wolves, blood angels, Templars. Templars, and Death Watch. So they've actually explained a little bit that they are still going to be different and identifiable. Like, for instance, Dark Angels, their detachment rule, not their army rule, is Grim Resolve. So the same thing as it was before, where they're just kind of stubborn, is while they're battle-shocked, they still count as one model instead of zero for their objective control. So they are just that angry and that stubborn. So then what's the army rule? Well, that's just it. They didn't show that off for the Dark Angels. They only showed off the detachment rule for them. That's because you didn't read the article. I was leading you on. They say in the article that they're going to have the... Oh, it's a moment army rule still. Yeah, it's one of those things of... As of right now, it's best to assume that your special chapters of Marines will follow all building restrictions of Space Marines. So that way they get access to the same rules, but their detachments are different. So, like, we have the updated data sheet for the lion who literally just came out. They made him a monster, so he cannot be in units, unlike Thraka. But holy crap, is he kind of scary. Yeah. He does get the lone operative ability. Yeah, so he can't be picked on, but it's still just like, bro, he's walking around on his own, whereas Thraka can walk up with a unit of Mega Knobs and just go, you can't hit Thraka. Good luck. (laughs) So, and this is actually, so staying on the lion, this is actually the first time that we see a unit naturally have the fight's first core rule attached to themselves. Yeah. 
that's as we see we'll get to that a little bit later that's critical moving forward that is going to be unbelievable um if you can, especially if you can find ways to spam that in your army that could be a, an incredible way to swing a battle uh, in mm -hmm. and i remember back when ninth edition rolled around they said that three plus invulnerable saves were going away What's that number that Lionel Johnson has on his? Yeah. Yep, it's a uh, three-plus invul. Go with his two-up armor, by the way. I mean, okay, he's ten wounds, he's toughness nine, he's supposed to be a really tough cookie to crack. But, wow, that's really, really obnoxious. And let's not forget that that is the Emperor's shield. So, on an unmodified saving roll of six, the attacking unit also suffers a mortal wound. Yeah, as he's also minus one to wound. So, yeah, it's expect Primarchs to actually be scary again. Um, the Space Wolves, they still have their sagas, so you have the Warrior Born, the Majesty, the Bear, and the Beast Slayer. They are still two-part things of being completed and stuff. They showed off the Hounds of Morkai, which I don't care about. Their named reavers, whoop dee diddly do. Actually, if you're going against uh, psychic heavy armies, much like uh, Thousand Suns and Grey Knights, these guys are going to do some work. The, the bad news is, if that pairing doesn't show up, you've got reavers in your lineup for no reason. Yeah, I mean they got Scout Six, so they get to move six inches at the start of the game or something like that. If I remember that rule. Yep. Um. Blood Angels, their detachment rule is, in fact, still the Red Thirst of if they charge, they get plus one strength and plus one attack. Are we sure we're not just looking at World Eaters? <laughs> yeah, they're kind of the same thing. I, I do miss the plus one to wound, but, I mean, at the same time, plus one to wound in this edition is incredibly, pro, um, incredibly relevant because everything is weaker. Um... Gabriel Seth made it out, so he's he's still around as a flesh terrors option. And then you have the Black Templars. Well, they still carry around their Gabriel for a quick second. Ah, which is interesting because they said, "How do you make flesh terrors, which are successor chapters to Blood Angels, and, and they have a nice little clean rule that you can include them in the army, but you can't include any other epic heroes." So basically, you can't have. Uh, Sanguinar with um, Gabriel Seth to show that they are indeed separate chapters, which I thought was mm -hmm. an elegant and can lead to some other nifty goals later on. Yep. Yep. So yes, carrying on with, yep, carrying on with the righteous melee fury of the Emperor. So the Templars carry over their vows just like they did from this edition, where it's the at the start of the first battle round. You pick one of these things and you have it for the rest of the game. The way it's reading now, instead of having these weird things of like mini transhuman and plus an invuln and this and this, it's you either get lethal hits, you get a feel no pain with higher with really high leadership. You have anti psyker stuff, or you get sustained hits one. Again, four incredibly solid and specific things that you can tailor against your opponent. <laughs> Three of them are generic 
one of them is, hey, look, it's Thousand Sons. We're going to go punch them in the face. Right. Um, and the, the sword brethren that they show off, it's... I know this is like the, the big melee hit unit that they introduced for them. And this is actually something I find really neat. They give you a option at the start of the fight phase to either increase your damage or increase your attacks. Which is pretty, I mean, looking at this, a chain, uh, Astartes Chainsword, they already have five attacks to start with. So, yeah, going up to six attacks, hitting on threes, or skipping at five attacks, but now make it damage two. Again, the customization to your opponent easily puts Black Templar probably head and shoulders above a lot of the other uh, Space Marine chapters we've seen so far. Yep, and then we get to the... I, I, I just want to point out that mm-hmm. since this stuff of the Black Templars has been released, I have seen on multiple occasions a fun little meme pop up. Basically, it's a sword brethren pulling a neophyte aside saying, I just remembered how cover works. <laughs> <laughs> Standing behind things is great. I should have been getting shot. Yep. So, carrying on with the last sub-faction that got released, and that is Death Watch. These guys have always been in a weird position since they are the amalgamation of Space Marines. And we've seen we've not seen them a whole lot because we don't know what the heck they do half the time. So, in the at the start of the command phase, you pick a missions tactic until your next command phase it's active, so basically it's a doctrine of sorts. And But you can only pick each tactic once per battle. So there's two turns where you don't get any of them. Well, yep, there's a whopping three of them. When Actually, looking at the entire list here, I thought there was going to be more. But you have the, f- the fewer, furor tactics, and it's sustained hits one. Nice, clean-cut thing. The Malleus is lethal hits. Again, another really solid tactic. And then Pergatus is precision. So that one is super flexible. You can peel that one whenever you want, or you can have it be your dummy tactic and burn it for a turn because it's you're not able to get to the characters because the guy was too far away or whatever. So it's, it's very much a, well... Now I just have to chew through your units, I guess. And the data sheet for the Death Watch veterans is still a really crazy, different weapon loadout mess. One thing I thought was interesting, though, is this uh, long vigil ranged weapon and long vigil melee weapon. So have we gotten rid of special issue ammunition now? I think we might have. It's fairly powerful. It's uh, anti-infantry four, devastating wounds, and uh, rapid fire one on the gun, and on the melee weapon, uh, no special rules, but it is strength five, AP minus two. Take into account that these guys also inherently reroll ones unless you're a Xenos faction, in which case you reroll all failed hits or all hits. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder, at least in the case of the long vigil ranged weapon, if that just takes the place of combi weapon. 
Don't know. Well, you know, it's curious to see how all that works, but um, I don't, yeah, I, I, I'm a little concerned with Death Watch. Is that I thought they lost their way last edition. The codex kind of went in the wrong direction. I think it started with that the intercept for some reason Primaris uh, Marines couldn't use special issue ammo. Never understood that. And then it just kind of went further. And then when you actually saw them on the table. They were. They became an assault army. They just. How many uh, heavy um, thunder hammers can we take? And it was like, oh, this isn't exactly how they normally play. This is kind of weird. And the whole idea of a Death Watch army still doesn't make sense to me. You should it. It should be similar to a Retuin for Inquisitional agents, but whatever. Yeah, it's just carrying on with the data sheet for the veterans. They still get to carry around thunder hammers. They still get to carry around xenophase waves. That is two weapons that have devastating wounds attached to them. Yeah. Like the the thunder hammer is crazy because it's flat three damage. All their other melee is one damage. But okay, how many guys can take a xenophase blade? Probably a lot of them. But in the past, wasn't it limited to one? I think so, but in the in the stat line wise, it's the same exact thing as a long visual melee weapon. It just gets an extra attack base. That's the only difference. That's a good point. And that's probably the standard weapon. So I don't know. We'll see what comes out. Um, also, just no mention of the crazy um, kill teams of Death Watch that you put together. You know, where you have these oddball, you stick a Terminator in with uh, a bunch of other specialist so he can soak the wounds or add a bite mm-hmm. to a unit for some of infantry units oh, that seems to be gone so i'd be curious to see how they kind of reinvent them a little bit so well i think that's that's going to end up being the various detachments that come out for them yeah it might be that's a, that's a good point so when their codex comes out yeah, so it's it's definitely one of those things that after looking at all the faction focuses that they've released so far, they haven't announced another one, so we might have seen everything. We have, yeah. Yep. So at that point, following around what is the rumored release schedule, because I don't know if they actually showed it off or not, but if you are waiting on the Leviathan box, your pre-orders can go up this weekend. If you don't want to buy the Leviathan box, but just want to at least peruse the rules, they're already available. Go ahead and head over to the community site. You can download them for free. And um, it's not a four-page intro. It's pretty extensive. I was shocked when I saw I downloaded 60-something pages. I was like, what? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an actual rule book. (laughs) Uh, We've been talking a lot about data slates. What's the rest of the army look like? I don't know, but uh, Ray's got the list of when your army will be available for download, and it'll be downloadable before the box set is available. Yeah. Bear in mind, this, this is technically unofficial, uh, but I can give you the rundown. And, I mean, from what we've seen so far, it's on track, although that is just one. So on the second, we got the core rules and the quick start guide. If you're one of those people looking to get Leviathan, the, on the 5th, those data sheets will be released, so you probably already have those. On the 8th, we will see the Tyranids data sheets. On Friday the 9th, 
the Space Marines data sheets. Of course, the 10th is the Leviathan pre-order. On Monday the 12th, we will see the, quote, other Space Marines, which means Blood Angels, Dark Angels, all those. On the 13th, all of the Chaos data sheets. 14th, the Imperial data sheets. On the 15th will be Xenos data sheets. Here's a big one. On the 16th, the GT pack and the points. On the 20th, the Combat Patrol data sheets. On the 23rd, Boarding Patrol and Crusade. And finally on the 24th, the launch of the Le Leviathan. So lots to come out. Lots. Of, I mean, the idea of having these all before the game comes literally comes out is is amazing. I mean, theoretically, you get a couple of practice games in the week of. So I think it'd be pretty exciting. Although that GT pack and the points is probably the biggest piece of the puzzle you need. Yeah, I appreciate that they're actually going to let us apparently download them for free because you know that's going to sell out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another thing. I think, Ray, you mentioned it when we were in our discussion group prior to the show. Good news is GW has been ramping up, so supposedly if you want this Leviathan box, they're making more than they've ever made before. Uh, the bad news is if you don't get one, too bad. They're not doing made-to-order anymore. So when it's sold out, it's sold out. The other bad news, if you've noticed, I don't think they're making anything else. <laughs> Their website no. is bare. So, yeah, I had heard someone say that they literally uh, restructured all of their production into making copies of Leviathan. That is why, almost for the most part, nothing that has been showing up lately as temporarily out of stock has been coming back into stock. The only times that happens is when they just so happen to have some stock at their warehouse. They can, oh, let's go ahead and post these up as being available again. So I still think it's going to be an allocation issue. I still think it's just going to be extremely popular. So if you want to get your hands on this box, you definitely want to talk to your local game store and make arrangements. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR Cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR Cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match Whenever you're heading out for that next tournament, you can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy, the boxes help protect your models, and if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Exterminatus Podcast. Is your beer keg boring? Does it not have enough tentacles coming out of it? Does it not taste as funny as you remember because you didn't put a tear in it? Well, the wonderful makers of the Necro Nom 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 to replace your average pizza decided to come out with a, another book of the Lovecraft Cock. So they're from RedDukeGames.com and it will guide you through 78 different kinds of cocktails to summon a demon, summon a space bug. 
who knows? Either way, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time, and we would highly recommend that you try to not ingest too many while at the gaming table, because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when you roll Perils of the Warp or you roll a natural one on your persuasion check if you decide to play in So if you're looking for fanciful drinks, go ahead and grab the Lovecraft Cocktails by the madmen at reddukegames.com, the makers of the Necro Nom Nom. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. But if you want to see the game actually played, wow, I have to have my hat goes off to Games Workshop. They delivered this week. They had a full battle report using the Leviathan box. Granted, it was a combat patrol, but you got to see lots of rules and a lot of interaction on Warhammer+. Plus. And then the following, that was on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, they had live games streamed from the Kansas City Open, showing off two 2,000-point games with noted tournament veterans, so you can see what it looks like to play the game in real time. What an eye-opener. It really was interesting to watch. Yeah, those games I sadly did miss. I'm pretty sure the VODs will be up soon enough so that way everyone can go and watch them if they aren't already. But watching a game of 10th edition is probably the most interesting sounding thing in a long time. It was pretty neat. Uh, Ray, you saw some of it as well, correct? Yeah, I saw bits of it. Yeah, I w- if you had to pick one of the two, I'm going to pick the second one. This isn't a knock against the um, presenters or the players involved. The biggest difference is in the first game, the announcers were Paul Murphy and Nick Nadavati working with a table boss, giving them insights of what's going on. And of course, they're also working with a tech crew saying, hey, we can th- show you some data slates of what the guys are playing with. The difference is on day two, it was Paul Murphy with Mike Brandt. So Mike Brandt could speak more to, this is something we worked on. Here's what we were developing. Let's. So it had a lot more pacing and a little more balance between, we're showing you new stuff, but we're also trying to describe a game to you at the same time. And that really helped out why these players were making certain decisions. Uh, very, very interesting uh, how the game is going to be played. Uh, three things, just in case you missed them, you don't have time to, to look at these. Uh, number one, if you notice, most of the faction fo- focuses, sticky objectives seem to be rather common. There's a reason for that. In most missions, your home objectives or any objectives that are in your deployment zone really only interact with secondaries. Primaries by, primarily played over the no man's land objectives. So the idea that you can draw, you know, stick a, your homeland and then move out, you don't have to park something on your home objective all game long is, is important. Uh, number two, I think the other thing is, is the cards that they're for real. And um, so far, every player in those things played the a random version but there's a lot of leeway in terms of discarding cards that are not effective at that time. 
In the second game, they also actually ran a gambit, which was uh, pretty hilarious. But, um, you know, if you're in a position to play the gambit, then um, things have not gone well in your first three turns. <laughs> <laughs> so but, one thing I appreciated, and I think it was Mike Brant who said it is, um, it seems like the secondaries are designed where if the choice is open one person can choose the the random draw for secondaries and the other person can choose to just pick a couple certain objectives and the game still be fairly balanced correct so for example ray is you know very studious on his army he knows exactly what he wants there are out of the 16 i want to say six of the objectives are can be chosen as fixed so he chooses two of them he can score a max of 20 victory points on those two but he does what he has all game long me i didn't come up with a plan i barely remembered to bring all the models in my army so i'm just like i'll just draw randomly and uh so i would be drawing all 16 cards throughout the uh that particular game the interesting thing is if you do the more random you tend to get more points but then you only score it once so then you don't know what you're going to score next you have to find out what the next one is coming up so that was kind of neat uh robert remember when you and i played our semi 10th mm-hmm. game and there was like a a um condition i can't remember the exact wording but basically in our our games we got a bonus in order to gain our command points our warlords had to be on the table yeah the mission rule yeah mission rule that's back that's in there and um so that was kind of some of them are pretty scary uh so it'd be very interesting they're a little more advanced than what we've seen in ninth edition the mission itself the one they showed off is bizarre where with the exception of the objective on the center the other two objectives that are in no man's land, if you hold it, you can move it six inches. And the idea is you get more points for that objective the closer it is to your opponent's deployment zone. Huh. Well, that's a neat idea. Yeah. Uh, Scorched Earth is back. Not only the tournament, but yes, the mission. <laughs> so you're able to burn objectives again, huh? We're able to burn objectives again. That is definitely another. It's back again bastards i should be getting copyright infringement on them but anyway um (laughs) never gonna let that one go so a lot of things like that are really interesting Uh, there was i just blanked on oh another thing mike mentioned as well is i'd be curious if it's in that gt download on i believe race it was the 17th or 16th that's coming out that download is slated for the 16th. 16th. One of the things I'm hoping, and this is a big hope, and it's a big concern, and I want to get back to, we are a competitive podcast. There doesn't seem to be guidelines for this is how a tournament will be run. So, for example, the expectation is, as a TO, you will be saying, we'll be running these five, six missions. And with these conditions, so for example, the the um, various changes to the rules. So the people, so you're trying to eliminate some of the steps in the pregame. So we're all playing the same mission. So the only thing you have to do is choose your secondaries. So which pairings worked best with which missions? Which missions will you see more often than not in uh, tournament play? 
are people going to just nerf them into the ground? And for example, they well, at our tournament, we only run one mission. There's, it seems like there's too much latitude where from a tournament organizer standpoint, it was really liberating to say, if you have any questions, refer to the Games Workshop packet. There was actually no point in printing it. It was like, it was there. Everybody had the packet directly from the game source. Now they were back to um, a lot of variability from tournament to tournament, and that can get scary really fast. Mm-hmm. Hold on one second on that. I thought I remember reading somewhere on that, something on that. Well, I mean, if it's going to be one of those things where the mission pack is kind of a universal thing, then at that point we're going to run to another ninth edition issue where everyone plays the same nine missions over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes super stale. But I also remember in even the ninth edition, it was nobody ever, I forgot what the mission, there was one mission everybody hated. So no one um, Abandoned Sanctuaries, there we go. mission 21. Couldn't remember to bring down their icons or which one is off the top of my head. So nobody played that. So I was like, okay, I got news for you. If, if you look at, uh, and if you happen to be a subscriber to Art of War, they uh, Scary and Richard Siegler actually broke down the entire deck in one of their videos. There are some missions in there that make those the old missions look like candy. There is all kinds. Of, so it seems like they simpler, but not simplified, but whatever. They, it doesn't apply to the mission deck. There's some really complicated missions now, and I was just like. What? What are you doing? Um, there's there's wild stuff going on. So um, I can As... easily see some tournament organizers saying we don't play with that one, we don't play with this one. And if you're mm-hmm. only running three events, three uh, rounds, you should be fine. LVO when you've got nine rounds. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If I may, real quick. Mm-hmm. So I found it in the article titled Gambits and Missions. Here's how you win games of four of new 40k there's uh one sentence that says at competitive events these combinations may sometimes be defined ahead of time but you'll usually generate them fresh each time you play i think that means that there will be a uh probably ever-changing um suggestion of how you pair them up and it might be something that they do quarterly along with the balanced status slate it could be done less often. I think we'll know for sure once we can get the download. I sure as I hope so, because that's the last thing. And we and we've got a Smite Club open in early September. Tickets are on sale now. Uh, small plug right there. It's already June and mid June by the time this book comes out. We've got seven weeks to figure out which combinations work best. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, that's going to be rough. Now, the good news is deployment zones are uh, in um, objective placement are by mission. So it's just the other stuff that needs to be linked to it. But still, I'm just like, oh, oh my gosh. It, there's a lot of moving parts to these missions. Yeah. The, the overall thing that I want to have happen with this specific mission set is okay here's the 
da, 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 thought, thought, thought. There we go. <laughs> Here's the mission rule. And this is what you have. That kind of predetermined for six rounds, that makes it really easy. But the for the competitive format, though, you could put out a questionnaire or a Google Doc or something going, please tell me which missions you do not want to play and why. So that way, the, the TO could then filter a mission combination so that way people would actually want to play that mission. That kind of thing. Again, I feel like it's starting to create already some compartmentalization of the book offers us. We're only going to play with a third of the rules. I think that's kind of that's what I'm worried about. And so it's already seemed to be heading that direction. So I don't know. I hope there's a little more explanation of what's going on. The other mm -hmm. thing that came up during the um, uh, discussion was terrain. Uh, the terrain looked very WTC style, and um, so I was wondering, okay, is this the standard, or is this what you would just have lying around? Uh, it was more the latter, and um, specifically, Mike Brandt did say they're still working on the terrain for the U.S. Open series to reflect 10th edition. Didn't get elaborate into what that would look like, what changes they're making, Um so it was one of those, oh, okay. So I don't think anybody's um, train is obsolete right now, but there are subtle changes in those rules that will affect gameplay, and I don't think we're going to have them solved. And if anyone online thinks they do have it solved, you're fooling yourself. You've not played the game yet. And... Um, there's a lot still needs to be kind of like ironed out. What does competitive play look like? So it was great to watch the games and get an idea what's going on. Uh, I am still incredibly afraid of uh, Astro Militarum right now. They seemed incredibly strong. and uh, But overall, it was very hopeful of the game because it seemed to flow very nicely. And there was these long swaths of inactivity. It seemed to be a very... Um, everybody was involved in a lot of reactivity as well. Yeah, and that's all you can really hope for, honestly. Yeah, so, um, but they did hold true to basically each, um, what you're getting on day one is everybody gets a detachment. Uh, four, uh, each detachment has six uh, stratagems and four enhancements. And um, no character can have more than one enhancement. And they do simulate relics and warlord traits of days of the past. So it was kind of neat. It makes it very simple. And um, that looked pretty cool. But I think that's, I think, depending on your army, I think that's one of the things that kind of goes back and forth. You know, for, you know, as an opponent, you're always like, oh, I remember that ridiculous relic. That thing was so annoying. Um, I know for my army, I'm very much scared because my army characters lived and died off of Warlord traits, comboing off of relics, and being that I don't have either available to me, makes it very <laughs> begin to wonder: is that, are they going to be even that strong? So who knows? We'll just have to see. Because yep. I know I'm still flip flopping what I'm going to take to 
the Rage GT at the start of next month. Yeah, so just a lot still to, to siphon through. And yeah, there's I saw somewhere and somebody had a we've 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 ranked the top armies for tenth edition. I was like, how? How did you do that? Based off of what? <laughs> so there's there's a limited lot. information. That's what. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, a lot of information still needs to come out, and we're probably going to get it. I don't think we'll get as much this week because it's mostly the, the box set, but the week after, man, it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. And it's going to be a broken fire it hose. <laughs> it's a broken fire hose. That's what it is. Yeah. So, Any other insights you guys have seen, read, heard about 10th edition that's uh, got you going? Nope, not for me, because uh, as I said at the top of the episode, I've been living under a rock. Um, no, I spent most of my time trying to see if I could find any sign of a, of a Thousand Suns index card that hasn't been shown by GW itself. Um, and I keep finding Eldar. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's Thousand Suns. No, there's a lot. There's. I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it's. Um, there was such a. I remember when eight started. It was such a wide open thing when everybody was playing index. And I think the biggest difference is when codexes start. Codices start coming out. It was such a difference between. I have three stratagems, and my opponent has forty six, plus. Worldly traits, sub-faction rules, and uh, relics. And it was like, oh, I can't compete. I don't think that's going to be as big of an issue. These other detachments feel a lot more like armies of renown. And the fact that they don't stack is a, probably a, a godsend. I think that would be wonderful to see that. And um, But on the flip side, there's still a lot of questions out there you know, on how, how things are supposed to play. One thing I did forget to mention... Uh, that came up often in all three battle reports. In the fight phase, who chooses who gets to go first? The not turn player. Correct. So if you have a fight first ability, guess who fights first? <laughs> yep. So. And I know that's something that when they describe the charge phase, um, the charge phase effectively gives you the fight first ability when you complete a charge. That's why it's still the charging units get to fight first, but the defend the not turn player picks what combats go on though. Right. So if you've got Lion who fights first, he's fighting at the same time as the Chargers. Oh, I'll choose my guy. <laughs> so I chose the Lion to heroically intervene, or you were dumb enough to charge me. I fight first. Better hope you have enough devastating wounds to take down the lion in a single phase. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so that was a bit of a wake-up call. I saw that several times. Also saw several times the um, the power of Overwatch in this game is going to be pretty nasty. And probably one of the um, indirect fires is nasty as it's ever been. Mm-hmm. But overall... Pretty wild stuff. Yep, it's gonna definitely be a fun addition for me to relearn. 
the more I look at it, though, the more I'm feeling liberated, for a, bit, a better term. I'll give an example. It's going to be very specific to my armies, but I think everyone can relate to this. So we, we, were, we finally got a, a, new, a few new models to Drakari. We got a new Lilith and we got new Incubi. Incubi have become pretty much a staple. But Lilith, it was a great model. I have it. It's still unassembled. And here's why. Because in order to take Lilith, you had to make sure all your witch cults were a cult of strife. And then when the Book of Rust came out, you got all these special things for a book of, uh, for a Cult of Strife, which are really nasty, don't get me wrong. But you had to make it a separate detachment. You couldn't do it in a real space raid. So you had to build it specifically to be Cult of Strife. So if you weren't playing Cult of Strife, you could never take Lilith. So once the Cult of Strife stuff became obsolete and got written out, it was like, oh, okay. The other thing, too, was that a standard succubus with uh, upgrades was actually nastier than she was. So it's like, okay, why am I even bothering? Now, I don't care. As long as I have witch-called armies, I can take Lilith, and I don't care if I'm Cult of Strife or Cult of whatever. Um, that's kind of fun again. Yeah, I kind of feel you on that, because for Custodes, it's okay. Every game, who's your warlord? Trajan Valoris. If it's not Trajan Valoris, it's a bike captain. I I can't wait to potentially see Kostozilis walking around. Where it's, yeah, my warlord is a captain Terminator armor. Yeah. Because I didn't feel like bringing Trajan. Pretty, yeah, that'd be fun to watch. Um just those little, those little details like that. I was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, that's that, that's something out there. Um, also, the the lack of faction secondaries. You know, it's it's kind of nice. Don't have to worry about. Oh, your army can do that, and my army can't. Hmm. Okay. Moving on. Yeah. So, overall, there's a lot of. It seems like they've covered a lot of the. Sins of the past. I think the hardest part is going to be yet yeah, moving forward. Um, what are the new ones? So, looking at the time, I think we might have accidentally chewed up too much time to talk about the Kansas City Open events that happened this weekend. <laughs> that may be the case. But, uh, hey, congratulations, Ben. Yep. Ben Jurek... Um, was participating as Team USA in the team event. Team USA came in third place, only losing to the people who won the event, which was, in fact, the Art of War team. And in the singles event that happened, it was TJ Lanigan who ended up winning the event with his Zinch list, which a quick read over that was a whole bunch of flamers and a couple screamers and a whole bunch of Zinch nonsense. I know he's been on that list for a, a good while now in the season. He probably knows it really, really well. And it's also really strong into the format right now. Yeah, that's, that list is pretty brutal. So, But uh, nice to see him pull out and get another win. He's been uh, perfecting his Chaos Craft. Curious what he's going to do in 10th. See what he comes up with for that. 
Eldar. <laughs> Why not at this point? I don't know. There's a lot of cool stuff up there. Well, I mean, Sean Naden played orcs this weekend. Yeah, he's been doing that now since a year and a half now, which is odd. But he loves them, and um, I'm not going to argue with him. But so, and it gives me a little chance to move up on the, uh, you know, health ladder a little bit. Not to compete with Sean anymore. You know what also helps do that? Getting games in at tournaments. Yeah, that helps a lot. So, but most of that should uh, clear up a little bit in the next few months. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, big thing too is also just wow, trying to reformulate the tournament terrain. Yeah, a lot more to talk about that in a future episode. So. I think we've covered quite a bit. A lot more news in the next few weeks. So look for any updates on our Facebook page. And um, in the meantime, my name's Eric. I'm Raymond. I'm Robert. Thanks for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast. <laughs>